Welcome to Other You, a podcast where we discuss a decision in our lives that may or may not have had a long-lasting impact. We unpack some of the factors behind it and then explore in short story form what the other version of ourselves might have experienced around that time or shortly thereafter. I'm your host, Dee. Let's see where this story takes us. Welcome back to another episode of Other You. I'm your host, D, And today on the show, I have with me the author of the psychological thriller Stolen Truth and Blind Pursuit, which is currently in the works and many other published works. She focuses on bringing to life heroines who are fearless, traversing tense situations with steeled resolve. Welcome to the show, please. Henya Drescher. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, I'm so glad to. I'm so glad to. So we were just we were just talking a moment ago. Uh, you're spending time in um, rural Massachusetts. Uh, tell me what your favorite part of that area is. My favorite part, to be honest with you, the first thing is not seeing too many people. Um, <laughs> being a loner to begin with, um, I don't need a lot of people around me. I have a few good friends, so I like that about it so when you go to the supermarket you don't have to fight your way through the aisles Mm. Uh, when you look out of the windows um, you're seeing woods and you're seeing trees you're seeing plants uh, you're seeing nature Mm. Um, I'm also overlooking a mountain which I happen to like I love nature oh okay that's what I love about being here I love listening to the birds chirping. Mm. I love watching the the animals scurrying around, uh, deer, and occasionally there is um, all kind of animals. So I I love that about that. It's not having the um, the hassle and bustle that that I encounter in Manhattan. Gotcha. Okay, I'm sure that is a very stark contrast to the concrete jungle of New York City. And going from all the people to all of the trees that must be nice that must be nice yeah although you know manhattan does have its virtues um the energy that you feel when you are there even during covid Mm -hmm. uh, people walking around with masks uh, it's amazing that new yorkers who are very um stubborn to begin with uh, are following the rules and wearing masks but um i've I think in a year that we've been here, I went back only three times for one night or two nights. Oh, wow. And uh, talking about the stark difference, I mean, the energy is unbelievable. Here you get a different kind of energy. You get a gentle kind of energy, mm-hmm. you know, hearing things that you don't hear in a city. What you hear in a city is a lot of horn beeping and, um, and you're hearing uh, sirens and you're hearing the traffic, you're hearing a lot of things but the energy is unmatchable that i have to to admit Uh, and i also like the fact that we can go out and everything is within reach Hmm. um talking about going to plays although right now that you don't we don't have any of that right yeah but um it's there when it comes back right i hope i answered your question yeah 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 that's great excellent yeah i like um so I've lived in like really populated places and then very scarcely populated places. And um, one thing that I love about being around a bunch of people is you have opportunities to do things like whenever you want. Right. Versus um, having, right. you know, like, so when I, 
I lived in a small town in North Carolina. Um, and so I like, there would be times I'm like, Oh, I want to go do this thing or I want to eat this type of food. I mean, you just, you just can't, doesn't exist. Right. Or things close early. Oh, like all of these things that I want to do, they're closed at 7 PM. I'm like, ah, you know? So, I mean, it just, yes. Yeah. <laughs> the, the benefits of the kind of slowed yes. down, you know, simple life versus just perpetual access to everything I think is, is fun to it's true. compare. Uh, so it's true. you're, you, you're, you're an author of one published work. You have another one that you're working on and then several other like short stories you mentioned. Uh, when did you start writing? Uh, so I started writing around the age of 13. Um, I had a lot of issues, mental issues to deal with, and that was an outlet for me. So I started writing poetry and it was very natural for me to, um, to write because I was an incessant reader. I mm. read constantly. I didn't have many friends. I can say I had maybe, maybe one or two friends. Um, so my friends were books. Mm. And um, so, so that's what I did is I wrote because my command of the language in Hebrew, of course, because mm -hmm. I was raised in Israel, right. was, was amazing just because I was reading so much. Right. It came naturally to me. So Yiddish is my first language. Hebrew is my second language. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, was, I was born in France to um, Polish parents. Ah, okay. My parents were first cousins. Oh. That's the secret that my mother tried to keep for many years. Huh. Um, they were first cousins. So here I am. Um, I came out okay, I guess. But my father died, I think, when I was nine months old. Oh, wow. So I didn't really know him. Um, so uh, I was born in France. I was raised in Israel. I was there up until I was 17 years old. And then my parents, my stepfather, my brother, and my mother and I moved to the United States. Actually, my father was my stepfather. Okay. I say my father because he raised me. Sure. I was here a year before us, and then we, we followed him. Gotcha. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Do you speak, yeah. do you speak so any other languages? Do you speak uh, Polish or French or anything? No, I don't. Uh, Polish was a language that my parents spoke with each other mm -hmm. when they didn't want my brother and I to understand, <laughs> unfortunately. That sounds like and, my parents. And uh, it's coming actually, it sounds like. It sounds like my parents. They did that with Spanish. If they didn't want us to understand when we okay. were little kids, they spoke Spanish. So I, I get that. So you don't speak Spanish? Oh, I, I do. I speak some Spanish now, but I had to learn on my own because my parents were always like, well, if you want to learn, you can go take a class. But we're going to use this as our secret language when, you know, <laughs> we want to talk yes. around you guys. Yes. So that's funny. Well, it came back to bite me. I was angry at my mother for not teaching me another language because mm -hmm. my mother spoke six languages oh wow she was um she was born in poland but she ended up in russia and then she ended up in uzbekistan and and she ended up in uh, different different places all over europe mm. and that was after world war ii wow. so i am a child of um holocaust survivors mm. And so I would say that I I'm a second generation Holocaust survivor. 
And that's another huge story that goes behind that. Mm. But um, so talking about that he came back to bite me, when my son was born and I married an American who doesn't speak Hebrew, mm -hmm. so it was a lot easier for me to communicate with my son in English. Okay. Um, and so I, I never taught him Hebrew. And so he was upset with me for many years that I didn't teach him Hebrew. Yeah. And now my thing is, look, you're an adult. You, if you really want to learn, go and learn. But it's a lot easier when you're a child, too. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it comes more naturally. Yeah, yeah. It's like a sponge. Yeah. Yeah, I've been, yeah. I've been learning so, Greek for, shoot, almost two years now. I guess, I guess over two years now Greek? I've been learning Greek, yeah. But just by myself as an adult. So it's, it's been slow going. I just, I figured like, oh man, I should know this by now. I should be more, I should remember more, but it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's slow going. So I, I, wow. I, I get that. Yeah. Why Greek? Um, on, on my honeymoon, my, my wife and I, we went to several different places, uh, like a, a bunch of different countries and we spent a lot of time traveling while we were in Greece. She caught a cold and we went to several pharmacies trying to communicate that she had a cold, but they didn't speak English. And uh, so we were just like pretending like with fake cough and fake sneeze, like, well, what do I do? And so they would present something, <laughs> but it was all in Greek. And so I'm like, I don't know what this is. And I can't commu I'm so sorry. I have to leave. Right. And so we went to three different pharmacies on the third pharmacy. We finally found someone that could speak some English. And so we were able to get some cold medicine for her. If we ever go back, I'm going to know Greek so I can talk to them because yeah. So I started learning Greek as soon as we got back to the States and have been ever since. Oh, it's amazing. We were there and I know exactly what you're saying. People there are so laid back, uh -huh. so hospitable and laid back and nice. Mm -hmm. Um, so we were in Venice and, and, um, yeah, a lot of, a lot of people that don't speak English, which is really amazing because mm -hmm. most Europeans speak English Yeah. because now, I mean, it's when you, when you really think about it, we are living in one globe, one country, because mm -hmm. we watch the same shows. The United States, America, of course, is dominant, um, yeah. when it comes to that, because American shows, are, are very widely watched yeah. all over over the world. So kids are growing up with English. So I'm really surprised that the Greeks, most of them don't speak English. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure there's a large percentage of people that do just, we did not find people right away that spoke English when we're just trying to deal with that. I just, and I don't know, maybe it was the universe just giving me an opportunity to add something, you know, to my, to my life, which is the Greek language. But I've been I've been learning and I've been enjoying it. It's just slow going because I'm a grown up and I don't I don't have like a bunch of Greek people to talk to every day. So piece by piece. And you're and busy. How, how are you doing it? You're doing it through an app? Because yeah. they have apps. Yeah. Yeah. I'm using oh, a cell phone app. That's what you're doing. Yeah. yeah. I'm using Duolingo. Yeah. So, yeah. So I go through that. Yeah. Duolingo. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which is great. It's 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 been it's been great. I started doing it with Spanish Oh yeah. a while back and then I gave up on it. Uh -oh. Yeah. Yeah. I used Duolingo and I'd love to learn Spanish because a large population in this country and all over mm -hmm. uh, speak Spanish. Yeah. Even in Israel, there's a large population of people who speak Spanish. No kidding. Huh? I would not guess that. Yeah. 
Right on. Yeah, definitely. Have you ever been there? I have Israel? not been to Israel. I have not been to Israel. As it's like oh, there. If you ever get a chance, yeah. uh, uh, I can't. Not because it's my uh, country, <laughs> a country that I came from. Uh -huh. Of course, I adopted the United States. I love the United States, we, and we go there every year for two months. Okay. You know, I need to get my shot in the arm. You know, speak Hebrew because yeah. you know. I mean, after all this time, and I don't have anybody to speak Hebrew with. Right. Yeah. So I like to go back there, and I still have family. But if you ever get a chance, it's very cosmopolitan, mm. and especially Tel Aviv. Tel Aviv is just unbelievable. Uh -huh. I mean, um, it puts Manhattan to shame. Wow. Okay. If you really can imagine that, it really does. Um, right on. So. Going back to why Yiddish was my first language, mm -hmm. I wanted to tell you, is because when my parents immigrated, or my mother, my mother actually made, uh, met my uh, stepfather in Israel, okay. but uh, she didn't speak Hebrew, and I was very little at the time, mm. so she spoke with me a language that she knew, which was Yiddish, and uh. not until I went to school that I learned to speak Hebrew. Interesting. So, okay. uh, yeah, yeah. And now my understanding of Yiddish is, is sort of 50% and speaking is sort of minimal. But I have the, the basics, you know, the basis for the language. Interesting. I, I can still pick up some. Gotcha. Okay. So and you started bit. with Yiddish, then you learned Hebrew, then you learned English, and you lost some Yiddish through just l lack of use. And yeah. now uh, you go... To regularly it's, keep up on your Hebrew, head back to Israel. Right on. Uh, I was hoping that we could transition now to your decision. So we, we've got a little bit of background on you. Uh, and now let's move into what was that moment that happened in your life where you made a choice or life made a choice for you and you have been able to see the effects ever since? Okay, so I'm going back to age 13, which I pretty much alluded earlier when mm -hmm. I started to write and I had uh, mental difficulties. Um, I, I didn't know that my stepfather was my stepfather. My parents never told me. Okay. So I thought he was my father, even though there were very unusual things happening around me, you know, with family members mm -hmm. and my my stepfather's family members were not really my grandparents and I had my own grandparents but I wasn't allowed to ask questions mm. and so I pretty much let it go knowing that something is wrong that there's something there's a secret in a family that I didn't know but you know so living living with this background buzz and information that was always a huge question mark in my head. So my, I went to visit my grandparents who lived in a different town. Mm -hmm. And um, I never really knew how they were my grandparents because as I told you before, my parents were first cousins. That right. means that my grandparents were my, my mother's aunt and uncle. And um, above the bed, whenever I used to go and visit my grandparents above the bed, there used to be a picture which dominated the room mm. and my grandparents lived in one room 
and a kitchen and a bathroom. Mm -hmm. So when all of us used to go and visit them, we used to pile up in this one room. But that picture was always dominant. And I always used to look at it. My mother with this strange man that looked like my uncle. Huh. And I couldn't ask who it was. I remember asking once or twice, and I would either get hit, or I would get screamed at. Mm -hmm. And so I learned not to ask questions. Okay. So I was 13 years old, and I got to visit my grandparents, who I didn't know how they were my grandparents. And um, my grandmother said, look, you're 13 years old, and you are an adult now. So I'm going to, to tell you. And she told me, huh. so I lost my mind. Okay. Um, it came as a shock and, um, and I remember taking a bus home and I came home and I was livid. I was screaming at my parents, screaming at them. How dare you not tell me why should I hear it from my grandmother? Mm -hmm. So after that, from that point on, my stepfather and I never, ever regained a relationship, ever. Um, oh, wow. Not that we had a good relationship. My father, my stepfather, as I said, he was in Auschwitz, so he was, he had his own problems. Sure. Um, but he pretty much disconnected himself from me and he resented me for being upset at him. Mm. And now as an adult, I mean, I can, I can understand and that's how it was in those days. You just didn't tell certain things to your children. Sure. You were trying to protect them. But that's beside the point. So um, that was the pivotal moment that, and it lasted for many, many, many years that I became suicidal mm. and I had all kinds of problems. I just, I was totally stunted in my own head. I, um, climbed into my own head and I couldn't, I couldn't sense or hear anything that was around me because I was living in my head. Huh. So I, I lost a lot of, a lot of things in my life, not paying attention. Hmm. I don't know if that makes sense, but yeah. that was it. But, but what the good that came out of it is that uh, it became a creative juices, hmm. you know, because I needed an outlet. Okay. So what I used to do, and it's lasting to this day, other than writing, I used to go hiking a lot by myself because the uh, the town we lived in it wasn't really a town. It was there were maybe thirteen homes. Oh wow. It was very remote. Okay. But it adjoined a forest, so the forest was my friend. That's what I like about the Berkshires mm. because that whole vibe that they gave me solace and gave me peace of mind when I was there. Um, so that was that pivotal moment that lasted with me for the rest of my life and it's there, will be there for the rest of my life. Right. Wow. Although as an adult, I can understand it better, mm -hmm. but you know, that the feelings that when you grow up as a child, and I'm sure you know what I'm talking about, there mm -hmm. are moments that are so powerful that stick with you. I mean, you, you can rationalize it, mm -hmm. you can live it, learn to live with it, you can learn to understand that, but that basic grain that is there right. that really helps shape you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, that, that's that's the main premise of the show is how these little moments, and sometimes they don't seem very big, um, can really have very long-lasting impacts. So, all right. So, uh, at this time, you you learned that your father was not your biological father, that he was your stepdad, and the picture of the man at your grandparents' house was your biological father. Uh you felt lied to. Now, is that what, what thrust you into books, or had you already developed a habit of reading uh, before that? Or were books more before like... Before that... Okay, they were before that? Before that, but um, I retreated into myself even more and more, mm-hmm. so I read more. I read uh, Leo Tolstoy. Um, I read very difficult... Um, Dostoevsky, Dostoevsky, mm-hmm. uh, Fyodor, Crime and Punishment. Wow. So I read very difficult books, but they resonated with me. Anna Karenina, and um, you know, the, the, these were times, you know, like War and Peace, uh, a novel that was explosive, an explosive event in literature, mm-hmm. which for me at that moment it was an explosive event in my life. Yeah. And um, the experimental work that um, that shattered many of the previous rules, you know, Tolstoy was amazing. Mm. It was it was an amazing uh, work of art that he did. That um, he was able to traverse lines that were never traversed before for authors yeah. that who were not allowed. Uh, to write the way he did. I mean, he even uh, Flaubert, mm-hmm. when he wrote Red War and Peace, he was he admired and he was orf- horrified at the same time, mm-hmm. and he complained that Tolstoy uh, kept repeating himself, and he philosophized too much, which up until that point no author did. Mm-hmm. And so I find now very interesting that. You know, a couple of people, um, when they read my stories, short stories, or read my book, and they say that I have a t- tendency to repeat myself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I go back to that and I say, well, it's okay. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm trying to make a point. Yeah, yeah. Emphasis. If you didn't get it by yeah. then, then you will not get it afterwards. Yeah, that's also a habit of Aaron Sorkin, who is... Um... He's a writer and director, uh, and part of his style is he writes a lot of words, but often the people repeat themselves as as part of his dialogue. So yes, yeah, I get that. Right on. Yes, and exactly. And nowadays, writers, and I think it has to do with uh, the attention. Uh, span that people nowadays, you know, short attention spans, mm-hmm. where you want every, you want instant gratification. Yeah, you want to read it very quickly and get it over with very quickly. You want to understand it very quickly. You don't want anything repeated because you just don't have the time right. for for that kind of a thing. But there's some merit to that, you know, if it's done tastefully. Yeah. All right. Um, what was, what was family life like? So we've heard about your mom. We've heard about your stepfather. We've heard about you and your grandparents. Did you have any other siblings? Were there any other people that lived in your home at the time? 
Yes, my brother, who is my half-brother, younger than myself uh, by four years. And um, growing up, we had a, oh, you know, um, I was a very troubled child. Mm. I was very troubled. And um, so I sort of had a good relationship with him, but I didn't have a good relationship with him. Mm. I was a mother figure to him because my mother was um, emotionally distant and emotionally not present. So she wasn't capable to be there for us. Mm. She kept a very clean house. She cooked, she was there, she washed the floors. She did everything that, you know, but she was like a robot. Beyond that, um, she was not capable to extend herself. And again, now I understand what she was going through. She was lived in Siberia for 10 years during the war. And she, I think she was sexually violated. And oh. she had a lot of things in the background mm. uh, in her past. And um, so, yeah, my brother and I, so I took care of him. Um, and I remember being, I was three and a half years old, four years old when he was born. And my mother had to go out of the house and she said, you sit here. I was, what was I, four years old, right? Mm -hmm. My brother was brand new. Yeah. And she said, hold him in your arms and do not move. And I, I remember sitting down a stair and with the outhouse facing an outhouse, of course, we're very poor, mm -hmm. extremely poor. And um, and I didn't budge, wow. and from that moment on, I um, until my mother came home, I looked at him as my son, rather as my brother, hmm. somebody that I needed to take care of. Right. So up until a certain age, um, I took care of my brother. I would beat up the kids who used to taunt him. <laughs> okay. I would console him when he was crying. Mm. Um, I just took care of him, but then one point, at one point, my mother said, okay, time for me to step in, get out of the way. I don't need you anymore. Oh, wow. And that was another thing that I had to contend with sure. what was happening. Why did you do it all of a sudden? You know, what's going on? Yeah. So, um, if I can say so myself, my mo my mother was mentally dysfunctional, ill. She really was, hmm. and so I, you know, so she did not instill uh, a bond between my brother and I because she had to be in the middle. Right. So, as I said, there came a point where she stepped in and she um, placed herself in the middle. Hmm. Did he... And so I was the bed person right go ahead i'm sorry no, no no you're fine i was just wondering did did he ever call you mom no he didn't call me mom Never but called you he mom. used okay. to run to me when he needed help so he was a favorite and i was a black sheep okay and um so Gosh, I'm I'm only scratching the surface. I think I told you when we spoke last time that I wrote a short story about it mm -hmm. and everything is in there. Um, but so when we came to this country, mm -hmm. um, 
I got married nine months after because I needed to get out of the house. And there was no other way that I saw that I can escape. Um, I escaped that home life that was so horrible. So, and I married an American person and we are still married actually. We got divorced 10 years after we were married. And and then we, we remarried 10 years later. So we are still together. Okay, that's awesome. So we must have been destined to be together. Yeah. Yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah. That's great. I know it's a little unusual. Hey, that's how it works. So it was, it was, it was growing up, it was uh, you, your mom, your dad, and your little brother, right? No other siblings, no cousins yes. or uncles or aunts that lived in the house too. It was just you four? Um. No, when I actually I'm going way back now. We did have my uncle. My mother's youngest brother lived with us when I was little. Okay. And um he lived with us and he was an alcoholic. Hmm. So I remember him being an alcoholic, throwing up, stumbling into the house. Oh wow. At four years old, this is what I saw. Gotcha. And so, and actually I saw quite a few things. So yeah, after that, no, I, I had aunts and uncles and cousins in Israel, mm-hmm. but they didn't live with us except for the, this year, this uncle who lived with us for a period of time. Gotcha. When for I was period. very young. Okay. Okay. Um, what music did you listen to when you were 13? Um, I listened mostly to Israeli music. Okay. You know, folk music and rock music, and mm-hmm. um, in the background is I. I used to turn on the radio, listen to um, just really Israeli music mostly. Okay. That that I adored at the time. Gotcha. Okay. And then, um, what was what was a typical day like for you at thirteen? Right. So, this is you have had the experience with your grandparents, the fallout with your stepfather, you're retreating into books, you're going on hikes. What, what was a typical day like for you at that time? Um, so I'm, I'm thinking Mm -hmm. I used to, I used to climb trees a lot. That was very, even now, I'm a bodybuilder, but I was always physically oriented. Okay. So I used to climb trees and I used to love to look at the world. What was my day like? I would get up and I had to do the house chores. Okay. Um, and then I would, I, you know, after school, I'd go, I'd do my homework, go to walk and go hiking and climb trees and just go hiking a lot and take my notebook with me and write. And um, at times I wouldn't come home. So my father had to run around all over the forest looking for me because <laughs> I didn't want to come home. Right. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's, that's what I used to do. But, um, and also, uh, since you know Israel is, is um, lots of soldiers all over the place. Yeah. Um, so we had a base close to us because at the time, you know, the, the town I lived in was close to the Jordanian border. So there was always um, a threat hmm. coming at us. They used to come in and, and do all kind of stuff. Hmm. 
So I grew up with that uh, fear, but I wasn't fearful. I used to go right to the border and just walk around there. Huh. Actually, I used to invite uh, problems and troubles, because this is what I was familiar with. So my days really were just walking and hiking and reading and uh, spending a lot of time in my head. Okay. So it's not really that exciting. And then I, um, I have a huge garden here in, in the Berkshires. I cut down a lot of wood, so I have maybe an acre just filled with flowers that I oh. cultivated and bushes over the years and I did by myself. So I started doing it there. So it gave me some uh, peace of mind also is um, gotcha. planting flowers and, uh, and tending to them like my children. Okay. They were like my children. Awesome. I love it. I love it. They were like my children. I like that line. Okay. Um, so at the time, what were some of your hopes and dreams? Like all throughout all of this turmoil, what was, what was the, what was the escapism that you were hoping for the future for yourself? I uh, used to draw and paint. I was gifted mm -hmm. that way. So I used to do a lot of drawing and painting. And my dream was to go to a non-school in Tel Aviv and, um, you know, for, for, for youth who wanted to develop their, that part of their lives. And um, my parents said, absolutely not. Absolutely not. They wanted to see me get married at a very young age, mm -hmm. 16, 17, and um, they didn't entertain that at all. So, again, that was another another reason to resent them. Um, they, they were brought up to that boys are the ones where they invested all the money and the time into, right. to my, into my brother. I was just what they saw for me is to get married. So I wanted to paint. I wanted to become a painter. Later on in life, uh, in in New York, I I took lessons and I and I did a lot of painting. But then I decided after I graduated college that I wanted to become a writer. Gotcha. Okay. All right. But your hopes and dreams then was to become a painter. Well, to to go to the school specifically to cultivate that facet of you yeah. that painting okay yes okay how far from yes. tel aviv yes. um where did you live how far from tel aviv okay so that's a very interesting place i love to go back there um the little town it's not really a town it's a village right uh, it's called ben shemen sure. ben shemen means in a bible very fruitful mm. uh i think it was taken from isaiah Ben Shemen from Isaiah, somewhere in Isaiah, mm -hmm. in the Bible. And so Ben Shemen is a youth village. It's an ag agricultural a boarding school. Okay. And it's in central uh, Israel. So it resides in the northern uh, Judean uh, foothills. Okay. So it's located around about four kilometers east of Lud. So Lud is where the airport is, okay. actually. People in the United States say load. It's load. Uh, from Tel Aviv, it's about mm, 
maybe half an hour to 45 minutes. It's very close to Tel Aviv. Okay. And it's about an hour away from Jerusalem. So it's an, nothing in Israel is very far. Right. Yeah. Israel is the, the size of uh, New Jersey. Right. So you can go from all the way from Dan to uh, from the south all the way up north in, you know, in one day pretty much. Gotcha. It's a lot of driving, but you, it's doable. Okay. Uh, so it's... Um, yeah, so so it's really not that far from Tel Aviv and not that far from Jerusalem. An hour from Jerusalem. Okay. Yeah. But the name of the town you grew up in, or that small village, is Ben Shemin? Ben Shemin, and as I said, so I grew up actually learning how to cultivate the, the ground because it's an agricultural boarding school, but I wasn't in a boarding school. Oh, really? I was living outside of it, which was... Yeah, and uh, the boarding school is actually for, since 1901, it's a school for um, at-risk youth from around the world. Okay. So the school includes elementary and high school with dormitories, and it's providing residential and educational and vocational and, and, and care for orphans. So me living outside of there, and not too many of us did, there aren't that many houses outside of of this, um, the boarding school. And actually it's in existence until now. So it houses about 400 youth, children, ages from uh, six to 18. Wow. And it teaches them to, to walk the land and install an appreciation and, and responsibility for everything around them. Okay. So um, I think I answered your question. Yeah, yeah. Thank oh, you. Okay. Yeah, you did great. Um, uh, one more question. Uh, did you have any quirks? Were there any, like, personality or, like, quirkiness to you um, at that time? Yes. If you said black, I would say white. If you said she's straight, I would slouch. If you, if they told me don't climb trees, I would climb trees. If they tell me you cannot do something, I did it. If they tell me act like a lady, I made sure to act like a boy. Huh. Um, I did everything the opposite because I wanted to be myself, hmm. who I am, not to be told what to be. So I think that's a quirk. Yeah. And to this day, I'm pretty much like it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I'm into it. Is that what got you into bodybuilding? Yes. I've been lifting weights and I was a power lifter my younger age. Uh, yeah. That's what got me into it. Nice. The challenge. Yeah. You can't do that. You're uh, a girl. Myself. Yeah. You, you can't lift weights. You're a girl. And then you're like, oh yeah, watch this. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. You, you, you cannot, um, you cannot press 45 pound dumbbells. Oh yeah. Let me show you. I can, nice. uh, you cannot, nice. yeah. You know, that kind of a thing. So that's sort of a, and actually it worked for my, my benefit, right? It yeah. did. Yeah. Cause it pushed me to the limit. Um, and then it was very interesting. My cousin, actually my husband's cousin, who is American and married to an Israeli, wonderful, wonderful man. Mm-hmm. And she read my book and she said, oh my God, I've lived in Israel for 30 some years, for 20 years plus or whatever. And, and 
there's no way I can write in Hebrew the way you write in English being an Israeli. Mm -hmm. And then another, and and that's what I'm thinking. Oh yeah, really? Okay. So I'll show you. (laughs) And, uh, and then another friend said to me, what, because I speak with an accent, she says, wow, you sound so different when you write. Mm. You just don't sound the same. I, I, I love that, that part of you, that, that little quirk where you're so headstrong that it's, uh, you have to do the opposite of whatever people say. And what, what's interesting is I grew up testing, testing every authority that I could. If, if you told me mm-hmm. there were rules and now, which is interesting because I love rules. I love them, but I love them because I love to see how far I can go before you let me break them. Right. Mm. And so it's mm. not that like, oh, I, yeah. it, I hate the, you know, I can't be tied down behind rules. I'm going to break all. No, no, no. Like, okay, that's your rule. Cool. I'm going to get as close to the line there and then see how many toes I can get over before you're like, hey, hey, back it up. All right. All right. All right. I, I see where the line is. Okay. You know, so I, I love that. Exactly. That you would exactly. test things to that point where it's like, oh, it's a, it's a nice day. It's a terrible day. You know? exactly 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 (laughs) and that gets me into trouble sometimes with my husband yeah because and he knows me he knows me he usually backs backs off and yeah you know he lets me have my way but um and it just you know as you were talking and i'm i hear exactly what you're saying Mm -hmm. and the image that comes to my mind right now which i forgot Um, I'm, I'm a little girl. I'm only five, two. Okay. And I was o- always little smaller than everybody else. So, um, I remember being five or six years old and I was visiting my grandparents and I was playing with some kids with some boys because I always like to play with boys. Okay. Um, and I was challenged to a hand. What do you, what do you call this? A hand, um, like when an you arm, try arm wrestling to... match? Yes. Okay. And I remember doing it at five or six wow. and I beat that boy. And since then I said, wow, I'm invincible. Nice. So, yeah. I love it. I love it. Yeah, exactly. The, ru- the rule that you cannot do it, but you know, you can. Yeah. Just like you. Exactly. Awesome. I love, I love that. Okay. Wow. With, okay. So with that, I think I, I have all of the building blocks to make a really, really interesting story. So I'm very excited very excited to write this story and uh, to see where it goes. Um, yeah, wonderful, excellent. So, that being said, we're going to take a quick break. We'll listen to a little bit of music, and when we come back, we're going to hear the story of Other Henya, and we'll talk about it. Thank you guys for being here. Hang on just one moment.
Welcome back. I hope you enjoyed that small musical break. My guest again today is the author, Henya Drescher. Her book, Stolen Truth, is out now. The next one that she's working on is called Blind Pursuit. Uh, when do you think that one will be ready for people to pick up and read? The, uh, the novel that I'm working on now, mm-hmm. um, I think in less than a year. I can't really pinpoint because mm-hmm. I've been pretty busy doing yeah. promoting this book. Mm-hmm. So I neglected the novel that I'm working on now. Okay. Okay. Well, definitely you can go out and pick up a copy of Stolen Truth. Give it a read. Um, if you'd like to follow her on social media, she is at Henya Drescher Author um, on Twitter, on uh, Instagram, and she has a Facebook like page there. Uh, she's also on LinkedIn uh, under Henya Drescher. Uh, her most active is the Facebook like page, so she's going to be doing most of the interaction about the book. Give it a listen. Henya, are you ready for your story? I am ready, and I'm looking forward to it. Excellent. Excellent. All right, we're going to get right into it. This is the story of Other Henya. Other Henya drops into a deep squat. She pulls her knee up and begins to tie the laces to her favorite walking shoes. The sandstone-stained shoes wear their wear well. The soles show signs of their age through the many ringlets forming underfoot. She does not brush them clean anymore. She enjoys the memories that flood her mind when she sees them in the mornings. The bag on her back leans over to her right side and falls to the floor, pulling her hands apart. Ah, stupid bag. Stay on my back, would you? Exclaims Other Henya, annoyed the bag with a mind of its own, rests on her back where it sees fit, and falls just the same. After tying both shoes, she pulls the bag off her back and examines its contents. Two books, a few rolls of bread wrapped in a small piece of cloth and stuffed with fig and pomegranate jelly. Two cheese, stuffed cabbage rolls, and several small pieces of dried fish. Content, she adequately prepared for the trip. She calls out to her parents to wish them well for the afternoon. Mama, Tate, I'm going. The wilds call to me and I must answer. I have books and snacks and I have my feet to carry me there and bring me home. Her father, a quiet man, chews on a piece of root solemnly. He bobs his head up and down in acknowledgement. Why, child? Why are you so dramatic? Other Henya, standing tall, reaching to the heavens with her posture, as high as her tiny body would allow, responds confidently, Because, Tate, if I am to do all the things that stir within me, I must do them now. The drum is just for fun. She lifts her eyebrows playfully, blows air kisses into the room, and bounds out the door. She races down the sand-colored earth with her arms extended at her sides. She taps with the tips of her fingers, the trunks of the slender trees as they lean in their lopsided natural planters. Her mother stares into a bowl of broth at her place setting. She watches the steam lift and move about so freely, lost in each breath she takes in and lets out. Oblivious to Other Henya's conversation with her father, she simply watches the broth in the bowl as it slowly cools. Her husband nudges her with a tap of his foot on her toes. She looks up. Yes, what now? Her Polish accent thick and pronounced. Other Henya, she's gone on adventure as she does. She is dramatic, that one, her father informs. When did she leave? I had not noticed. Yes, this is why I tapped your foot. She said goodbye. You were lost in your soup. Oh, goodbye, Mother Henya. Don't forget to come home. She's gone, dear. She, she cannot hear you. The expression on Mother Henya's mother's face remains stoic as she stares out the front door. 
watching as her child shrinks in view as she runs beyond the Abraham garden and into the forest. When she can no longer see her, she sighs quietly and looks back into her bowl of broth. The two sit quietly at the table, never looking up at one another and never saying a word. Other Henya runs feverishly through the trees over the rocky terrain. She greets each tree by name, names she has given them over the weeks and months spent visiting. She loves the quiet. Even the animals and insects seem to break from their chatter when she finds a spot to sit and pour over her books. Hello, David. Afternoon, Binyamin. Wow, you look stunning, Abigail. So tall, so strong, Leah. You, however, look so tired. Maybe get some rest? She giggles to herself as she playfully converses with the forest around her. She finds a shaded spot beneath a singular tree near a small pond formed over the last couple weeks of regular rainfall. The air today is dry, but the ground is still a bit wet. She walks to the edge of the water, crouches low, and begins to disturb the glass-like water with the small flicks, watching intently as the droplets soar for a moment before crashing hard into the still water, creating ripples disturbing the whole pond. Satisfied, she gathers some of the dry brush from around the area and places it at the base of her singular tree. I will call you Avi. Thank you, Avi. You are giving me some lovely shade today. She retrieves one of the rolls in her bag and the book with the orange cover. She nibbles on the roll and carefully thumbs through the pages as she waits for the sun to slowly crawl across the sky. Sometime later, Bubby, will you tell me who the man in the picture is today? Other Henya looks into her grandmother's eyes with great longing. Her curiosity gnaws at her from within. The stories with which she fills her head and heart never make much sense. She imagines he's a distant relative, perhaps an ill-fated friend who died because of something someone in the family did. Before the who sometimes mattered less to her than the fact that the family who was keeping a secret. She braced for disappointment every time she asked, but not from the kind that comes with a rejection. Instead, she braced for the disappointment she would feel when she finally learned his identity. The mystery man had become such a prominent figure in her daydreams. When her cousin suggested she ask her grandmother, her excitement took over completely and everything she pre prepared to hear went completely out the window. Now who he was, who he is, is all that matters. I promise I won't guess today. I just see his picture and it seems to take up the whole room. Sometimes I catch Mama staring at it, but she won't talk about it at all. Why won't you just tell me who he is? Other Henya pleads. Her grandmother retrieves a small handkerchief from the pocket on, on her sweater. She clutches it tightly and brings it to her nose. She breathes in the memory of its original owner and begins to tear up. Choking on the emotion stirring within her, she looks her sweet grandchild in the eyes and says, My love, all I can say is he was very special to me, the most special. He died so many years ago. How old are you now? Thirteen? Wow. He died 13 years ago then. This handkerchief was his. It doesn't smell like him anymore. Instead, when I put it to my nose and breathe in, I'm just filled with sadness and longing. But you know what? I see a lot of him in you. He was adventurous too. He liked to go for walks amongst the trees. He would stay out all day and all night. He would even sleep on the dirt if I let him. Pausing for an eternity. She weighs the words as they form on her lips, ultimately choosing to bite down on them and swallow them back down into her belly. Other Henya takes her grandmother's hand in hers and tenderly asks, Bubby, are you okay? You miss him a lot, yes? I'm sorry for your loss. I'm, I'm sad I did not get to meet him. 
someone who is so close to your heart. But since you say I am like him, I will be the most adventurous I can be. I might even sleep under the stars amongst the sounds of the night with the critters who thrive in the darkness. Oh, no. Please don't do that, child. Here, just take this. This no longer has his scent, but I would love it if you would take it. It would do my aching heart some good to see you with it. Please don't ever lose it, pleads her grandmother, no longer fighting back the tears. They fall from her eyes one by one down her aged cheeks. Other Henya stands with the cuff of her long sleeve, dries the tears on her grandmother's face. She kisses her cheeks and assures her, I will keep this safe forever. So long as I have breath, I will keep it. In fact, I'll keep it with me as long as I'm able, okay? Okay. Thank you, Bubby. I love it. She tucks it snugly into the pocket of her shirt under her favorite sweater and heads over to the photo prominently displayed in the single room house. She stands on the couch and places her forehead on the picture and whispers to the man in the image, we never met, but Bubby says I'm a lot like you. She gave me your hanky. It's mine now. But I like to think that I'm taking a piece of you with me wherever I go now. Where I go, you go. She climbs down from the couch, satisfied, and plops unceremoniously into its firm cushions. The end. I am speechless. My God. Did you, you, you like the story? Did I like it? I loved it. You brought tears to my eyes. Oh. This is amazing. You're such a good writer. Oh, thank you. Good writer. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, you evoked such emotions and, and your lyrical prose are unbelievable. Oh, I'm going to bother you now <laughs> over and over again to, to publish some of your stuff. Okay. This is amazing. Good. I'm, really I'm, amazing. I'm so glad you like it. Very much. Very much. I'm really, and I'm saying it from the bottom of my heart. Thank there you. There aren't too many write, good writers out there. You are, you are a good writer. Thank you. To be able to evoke some emotion, and it's not only because it was about me. Mm -hmm. It was everything that's around. You know, you took a, a, a grain, a core, you took a small grain, and you Pended on it in such a beautiful way. You know, the ripples were unbelievable. Ah. Wow. Thank you. Uh, yeah, really. Amazing. Amazing. Thank you. It was, it was fun kind of looking into um, what like little you might have experienced kind of the things. I remember you said that the, the forest was your friend. And I, I wanted to make that part of the story. Um, yeah. You know. And you did a good job. Yes, definitely. Thank you. Definitely. I'm almost envious at, at you, the way you write. It's just so oh, beautiful. Thank you. So, and the way you read it. And I literally, you brought me to tears. Aww. It's not fair, but you did. Wow. Literally. Oh, I'm, I'm so glad you liked it. I... To be honest, I still get nervous if I'm writing something for someone who is a writer. It, 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 I, I get very nervous and I'm like, oh, I, I, I just want to, I want to do a good job, you know, because. It, well, you did in this case, and I think I listened to a couple of others and you did a wonderful job as well. Wow. Wow. Yeah. You blew me away. Oh, I'm so <laughs> you glad. You really did. I'm so glad. 
I know it was yeah. it was somber in a couple places, um, but I felt like that was that was important for it to be like that um, because of a lot of the ways that you described, you know, your upbringing, the relationships that you had, and where like the emotion, emotional turmoil came from. So um, I wanted to to honor that while also which you, did. you know kind of diverting it a little bit. You definitely did. Oh, thank you. So I, I was, I spent a lot of time looking at um, pictures of the forest near Benchamin. Um and I imagine it's the to the east, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So I was, I was looking through there, and um, there are some. They have a few like bicycle trails. Yes. Yeah, which is which is fun uh, because interestingly, Google Maps, like they took a bicycle and went through there. Oh. Uh-huh. Yeah. This so, what, it's a very popular place from all over the country. Yeah. Um, hikers and bikers go there. Yeah, it's beautiful. Um, it's beautiful. It is beautiful, and if you remember, you saw the highway mm-hmm. running between Ben Shemin and the forest. Yeah. That all, that all used to be forest, all the way up to a house. Right. I remember and, you saying that. Yeah. So, yeah. and that, as I told you, that's on the way to Jerusalem, which I'm sure you saw that as well. Yeah. 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 I was looking, I was reading about the, the highway. Um, I, like, you can take that to Tel Aviv also, right? If I yes. Correctly. Yeah. Yes. Route one, mm-hmm. there, there are several, couple of highways. But one is the most popular. Yeah. And yeah, so it's one straight line from Tel Aviv all the way to Jerusalem. Ah, there you go. That makes sense. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and it was so, it was very pretty. And I, so I was trying to figure out like, what what kind of stuff would you eat? And so I was looking up like um, food that people in Israel ate, you know, throughout the centuries and up until from the forties until the end of the sixties. The, the rolls with the different jellies was one of the main things that I kept seeing pop up. So I like hummus and trina mm-hmm. and falafel. Oh, okay. and now it's pizza. <laughs> 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 um, the culinary in Israel right now mm-hmm. exceeds that of Europe. Really? What? Yeah, and what happened is the Israeli, not because I'm Israeli, but that's pretty known, the Israeli ingenuity. Mm-hmm. So what these young people did or do, still do, they travel all over the world, mm-hmm. and then they take a, a sample from each country and infuse it together. And the uh, restaurants in Tel Aviv, are actually, there are um, groups of people from all over the world that go on, on the, um, eating tours mm-hmm. because the food in Israel right now is unbelievable. Wow. So they just go there just to eat from one restaurant to the next. Wow. Just to give you an idea. But but when I was growing up, there was the falafel. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you know what that is. Yeah. And the hummus, I'm sure you know what that is. And yeah. the trina and mm-hmm. dried fruit, a lot of dried fruit okay. and milk and... You know, basic and a lot of fruits and vegetables. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Israeli diet is a very healthy diet because it's the Mediterranean diet. Right. You know, you, you subside on fruits and vegetables a mm-hmm. lot. Yeah. So yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, 
So you did your research, I see. Yeah, I tried. Like, I, I wanted to, I wanted to represent, like, that area, you as much as I could, you know, because I think it's it's fun, um, for you as the listener, right? So the story is first for you. So I want to make sure that you can connect with what's happening, what's being said. You know, if I make reference to this or that, I, I want it to reach you. And then secondly, to everybody else that listens, you know, so if I can, if I can tap into things that you might have experienced, you know, hearing about you, like doing these things might, you know, like trigger some memories and stuff. So like I, I saw the, um, the Avraham garden, which I thought was, um, pretty, uh, but that's yeah. like in between, like it's, it's between the Ben Shemin and like a, the heart of the forest. So I was like, oh, maybe she would walk by that. I don't know. So. Yes, <laughs> she did. <laughs> okay. Definitely. Okay. I knew that area from, and I would go at night by myself. And in those days before, you know, with uh, Israel was not in peace with Jordan. Mm. That was right on the Jordanian border right. until Israel got, you know, the uh, Samoa territory. Mm. You know, I'm not going to get political, but still, I mm. mean, it was very dangerous to, to walk around there at night. Wow. But I did. I was fearless. Wow. Um, yeah. So um, it's, it's really wonderful. That's what I love about hiking, you mm -hmm. know, being in the woods. Yeah. There's something so serene about it. Yeah. You know. Yeah, it's it's when um when I was a, a kid and even as a teenager and you know into my early 20s, anytime I would be in the forest hiking, uh, for some reason I would always do everything I could to try and be as silent as possible just to see like okay, if I'm quiet, I want to see what animals I can happen upon, you know? Like what what else is around here? What what creatures are around here? You know? Uh, so right. I would try and sneak through the woods. And I mean, I was always terrible because I'm a human and I didn't live in the woods. So uh, I would like still crunch on things. I'm like, oh, ah, no, I'm wow. <laughs> <laughs> just scare everything away. Trying to be quiet. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's and it's very, very true. It's listening, it's being quiet and listening to what goes on around you. Mm -hmm. And that's, again, I keep going back to the country. I mean, you you start hearing the birds at four o'clock in the morning. They literally wake up this early mm -hmm. and they, and you hear all the cacophony of all kinds of noises that they make, which is just so beautiful. As a matter of fact, I took a video the other day when it was snowing, mm -hmm. but you heard the... Um, the birds and I put it on online. Everybody just went crazy. They thought oh, it wow. was so pretty yeah. because it's so quiet and I in the video and you can hear the birds and the snow coming down. Uh, it just it's just beautiful. And I keep taking pictures. I take pictures. I wake up every morning and I take pictures of um, the skyline where it's the you know when the sun first comes up and you see the the bands of orange and purple and blue and mm. green and you know because we overlook the mountains we high up above and it's just magnificent wow so beautiful wow. so beautiful really i wish my husband didn't love manhattan so much i would <laughs> give up manhattan but he loves manhattan oh wow i mean there are merits to living here, as I, I told you last time we spoke. I mean, mm -hmm. the culture and everything else that goes on here, but yeah. nature is so much nicer. Yeah. 
So it sounds like you appreciate nature as well. Oh, yeah. I love it. I love it. And it's funny, my brother and I will talk about, you know, some of the, the, the fantasies that we have. And I think he, he a little more than, than me uh, wants to be uh, like a mountain man. He's like, I just want to be a mountain man. Just live in a shack in, in, the, in the mountains. That's mm. all I want, you know. And I, I love mm. I love nature and I love the idea of, you know, having land and building a house, you know, and then like, ah, I live in this house that I built, you know, and mm. farming my own food and such. Um, mm. But I, I, I know that I also really enjoy the amenities of things done for me. So the access to a metropolitan area and also because i mean of all the places i've lived i find that i i love access to multiple cultures more than like singular like cultural neighborhoods sort of thing you know living in small towns where it's just like small town america versus living in a uh, like a major metroplex where you get access to a bunch of different ethnic groups that have you know, all settled in the same place. Exactly, exactly. And that's what's so nice about Israel because you have people who live from all over the world. Mm -hmm. So it's infused with different cultures and the music is uh, so rich. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, it's, um, you know, a a lot of Greek music and Mm. Middle Eastern music and... uh, Israelis even sing in Arabic, uh, they sing in Greek, they sing in French. Wow. Um, it just, because the immigrants brought, brought in music from their countries. Mm. Uh, as I said, like the Middle East, Greece, and, and the United States. And you heard a lot of Russian folk music mm-hmm. and Eastern European, you know, klezmer music. Um, so it just you know the different genres that that is so appreciated and another thing i don't know if i'm going off topic right now because now my mind is traveling in israel the thing that i like about being there Mm -hmm. um like in manhattan when we go let's say to we do a lot of we go to we love jazz okay so we go to jazz clubs Love it. And we love um, to listen to, you know, different kind of music. Oh, when we go to a restaurant, you have the adults or you have a certain group of people who choose to go a certain um, to a certain place. Mm-hmm. And you have pretty much the same group in Israel. Everybody goes out, even children at 11 o'clock at night. Parents don't have babysitters. Oh wow! They bring they bring their babies with them, and uh, and children. Nice. Wherever they go, because children are revered in Israel, mm-hmm. and um, you know we have friends who have. If you have more than one child, the government pays you for each child. Oh wow! They literally pay you for so if you have two children, you get a certain amount of money. Three children, they're up. Mm-hmm. The amount of money for children even more. Wow! So, when you live in a military country where war is always surrounding you, mm. when when a baby is born and men and women, you know, it's mandatory. Women have to go to the army as well. Right. Um, 
that you give birth with, with the thought in mind, you do not have only one child because you might lose, lose that child in the army. Oh, wow. In battle. Wow. So three children are the minimum, at least three children. You do not stop with two. So you can fall back on the remaining children in case one or two of them die. Wow. Which ha has happened. Even now, I mean, every day somebody dies. I yeah. Mean, with everything that goes on around there. But you don't feel it. When you're, when you're in the middle of Israel, you don't feel anything. Hmm. You know, what we see in the news here sounds a lot worse than it is, but you know, it's, it's, always, it's always there. Mm -hmm. It's always there, you always feel it. You know that something is, can happen any moment, but hmm. it can happen in Manhattan too. Look what's going on in Manhattan now. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. shootings left and right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think this is um, all of the time spent locked up at home and all of the the frustration that has stewed. So many people have lost jobs. So many people are, you know, underwater on bills. Um, so I think we're going to be experiencing a heavy load of violence Um over the next few months, just as things open back up and people are allowed access to large groups of people to unleash their frustrations. Yes, I agree. Yeah. And it's been going on for a while, so I don't know if it's going to get worse or better. Yeah. Um, now, in only New York, mm -hmm. now the um, ambulance drivers uh, the EMT workers are being attacked now. Oh, no. Yeah. Wow. They're being grouped together with the police. Oh, no. And so they're being attacked. Um, a couple of them died, uh, were killed Wow. last week. One of them said that he was spat at. Um, he picked up a, a sick person and he spat at him. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, things are really not that terrific and I think the frustration of being locked up yeah and losing jobs and um so yeah it was really fun chatting with you and and getting to know you and I it 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 made it easy for me like writing this story uh because of how warm you were uh, during our conversation. So thank you very much for that. You, you helped me to put together something really lovely, I think. Um, so beautiful. You got the book I sent you? Oh, not yet. Not yet. But I'm, I'm, I'm oh. very excited. I, I can't wait to, to read it. Yeah. So Daniel, this was a great experience. It Wonderful. really was. I mean, thank you. Um, of all the interviews I've had so far, I've enjoyed this one the best. Oh, great. I'm uh, so glad to hear really, that. Really? I'm I mean, so glad to hear that. Yeah, very warm and welcoming and interested and interesting. Thank you. All of the wonderful things and, and a great writer. Thank I, you. I, I'm, I'm beside myself. I don't, I don't want to uh, make you cringe me saying it so often, no, but it's, uh, it's okay. that, I, I am, that's exactly how I feel. Thank so, you. It's very difficult to come across good writers nowadays. And here I am, I'm sitting in front of one. So thank you. Please take it seriously. I will. Because you have it. Thank you. I will. You're very welcome. Thank you.
very welcome. Uh, if every so often, let me know how you're doing. You oh, know, I if will. You ever join, oh, if you join medium.com, mm-hmm. uh, send me an email and I'll, you know, I'll, I'll um, make sure that I, that I become one of your fans. Oh, perfect. Will do. Will do. Uh, thank you again, Henya uh, Drescher, so much for being a part of the show. This is a, a wonderful place for us to tie things up. Um, and and bring this episode of Other Henya to a close. Uh, please, again, follow her on social media. Twitter, Instagram, and her Facebook like page are at Henya Drescher Author. Uh, she's also on LinkedIn, Henya Drescher. Uh, read her book, Stolen Truth, Eagerly Await With Me, the release of her second, Blind Pursuit. She also is on Medium.com. You can find some of the things that she has published there as well. Thank you again, Henya. You are amazing, incredible, and this has been such a beautiful experience for me. I really appreciate you being here. Um, for Henya, I am D. We out. Please come back next week for another episode of Other You. Follow us on Twitter at Other You Podcast. Bye. Bye.